0: doesn't matter we're continuing the um what i said was we so many times feel loved when it goes well but when it doesn't go well we question ourselves and there's something in our subconscious mind that says i've done something wrong what can this be and why because love is measured And actually confused with gratitude. And then our gratitude is actually find in what the world has dictated to us. Success is and what life is all about and so forth. But when we look at the rejoicing that there was in the hearts of the uh, disciples, in the hearts of the apostles, these people were happy for different reasons. They had a joy even if they were in jail, man. These people were in the worst situation you would find them preaching the gospel. Like I said last week, Paul said he suffered under robbers. Now that to the typical word of faith mindset is an impossibility. How can a believing Christian who's protected by God suffer under robbers? Well, the apostle Paul suffered under it and that we know. And the apostle Paul was going through some difficult times you know, with with that. And he didn't know. I I think he was just, well, they've they've robbed me. They've beaten me. And that was not even persecution for righteousness. Uh, There was times when I think Paul must have thought, maybe I should have walked this way around the bush and not that way around the bush. Him in in his passion to go and preach the gospel gets uh, robbers robbing him. And uh, I mean... What what is all that about? In our mindset today, typical word of faith, typical prosperity gospel, we will not know how to feel. Our hearts would be so confused in such a situation. Or if a loved one gets ill, or someone gets locked up in jail for no reason, or he was talking to somebody about Jesus, now he's locked up in jail for a long time, or something like that. Our hearts would not know what to feel about that. We would be so confused. But we find that the early church in those times, they still continued, especially the apostles. They continued in righteousness. They continued to preach the gospel. They continued to share uh, with people. Now, where did that joy come from? Now, Last week we looked at John 3.16, and let let me just read that again. It says here, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what John comes and defines love to be, and where the Apostle John uh, comes and says that I feel loved, what causes me to feel loved is this thing that God gave His only begotten Son. So the Apostle John did not define uh, feeling loved by what he does. The Apostle John defined feeling love by what God did in Jesus in giving man eternal life. That is what it's all about. The, The love of God was defined in man is mortal, and God g- gave immortality unto a dying human being. That is what it is all about. That is what John said, this is truly love. Now the word love in, the, in Webster's Dictionary means a pleasing sensation or a, a sense to be pleased with And that is seen in how we regard someone with affection because of this pleasing sensations and his beauty. That's what love is all about. So, John says that God loves us. Look how God regarded man as beautiful, as acceptable. Look how content God is with man in this sense that he. Gave his only begotten Son, so that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, what he's saying is, is that God gave his Son for a reason, and that reason is what actually is defining the love of God. Jesus on the cross does show the love of God. It is an act of love. But the greatest love is not Jesus on the cross, but the fact that he was willing to go through the cross and then give us... There was something he had in mind. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he was raised from... uh, There was a reason why he was raised from the dead. And that was that we can have eternal life. And John actually comes and he says... And I want to just use my own words. Behold how much God loves us in that He gave us eternal life. You love something if you want it to live forever. You really love something if you want it to live forever. Now if you rent a place, um, let's say you've got money to buy whatever house you want. And you rent a place, you like that place. But when will you go and buy a place? When will you, if you look at, think of a beautiful beach house or something, is if you love that place. That love for that place will make you want to possess that forever or for a certain period of time. You don't want to rent. You want it as yours. You want to be there. You want to live there. You love that place. It's like with me in South Africa. I love South Africa. I want to be here. I want to live here. If we look at the situation in our country, it will really have to go very bad um, for me to move out of here. I would have to not be able to do my work and preach the way I'm preaching in order for me to move here. But other than that, I'm staying here. Why? I love this place. I want to be here. I love the mountains. I love the nature here. I love our little town here. Um... I want to be here. Now, the Bible says, Behold how much God loved man that He grants man eternal existence. Now, if you're the only being that's got eternal existence, I mean, it's a very dangerous thing to grant eternal existence to any other being. Because what if that being starts to make life difficult for you? But God loved man so much. That he said, I present to you an only begotten son. Last week we've clarified what only begotten means. We see in Acts 13 that only begotten means the resurrected Jesus. Jesus was begotten from the dead in the resurrection. So what he says is, behold what manner of love God has, that he gave the fullness of the Godhead bodily as a destination For each one of us. And we have our lives. And we have that truth of Jesus. At the point from where we depart. In our thinking. In our reasoning. In our logic about ourselves. And about God. That is what it is. So. um, When we. When we look at the scripture. We find that John. Feels loved for this reason. God has given me. Eternal life. And He has granted that not only unto me, His disciple, but this is the love of God, that he's even granted it unto Gentiles. He's granted it to the whole world. It is for everyone. Meaning that God sees value in every person. Every person he wants to preserve His life forever. You know, yesterday, um, people living not far from us, his uh, this this friend of ours. His wife passed away, and he was. She was just walking, and she had a a drink in her hand, a cold drink, and she was walking and just f- collapsed and passed away. We don't know if it was a heart attack or what it was. But if you would ask him, <clears throat> what would the greatest act of love be? What is the greatest act of love? What would you say? That would be, he would say that she would be raised from the dead. That would be the greatest act of love. And that would, uh, why? Because he wants her life. He loves her. He wants her with him. Now God looks at man in the very same way. He doesn't want our lives to be lost. He wants our lives to be preserved for our lives are valuable to him. He wants that forevermore and I want to say this church and and you might say that you're hammering on the resurrection too much listen to me the greatest driving force in a person's life is to feel loved there is nothing greater than that when a person feels loved when it's not gratitude that someone has done something for you but, you know, in giving you something whereby you just live your own life. But if you can feel in your heart, this person loves me. He regards me. He finds my life as precious. When we find that and we feel that, it will um, it will be the greatest driving force, the greatest power in your life is to feel loved. And I will tell you, nobody feels loved by laying down laws, by telling you all the time what you're doing wrong, by showing your mistakes, by, showing that, by actually declaring that you're not valuable, and all those kind of things. No. The way we feel loved is by seeing how someone wants to preserve our lives. You know, our lives is, like that one song says, it's, it's basically just a candle in the wind. Humans, the ability that we have, to preserve our own lives by our own work is the very same ability a candle has to preserve its own flame when the southeaster winds start to blow in Cape Town. <laughs> we don't have the ability. It is just like, it's like the flower of the grass, the Bible says. It is day and to hold that flower. And he sees that flower so beautiful that he says, I cannot see that this flower would die. I want to preserve it forever. And that is what John defines as the love of God. And he goes on in in 1 John 3 and he says, Behold what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, that we might be called the sons of God. And in the Jewish mindset, you've heard me say that many times, it means that we are like God having eternal life. And then he goes on in John 3 there, and just for those of you that might doubt this, he's saying to people, listen, You are the sons of God, although it does not yet appear uh, that you are a son. In other words, you are still seeing mortality. You are still seeing these things in your life that doesn't look like eternal life. He says, but don't worry. God, you are his son now. And when Jesus returns, what you really are will appear. And you will find that you are bodily exactly like him. What an awesome gift, isn't it? You really need to love someone in order to give that to him you really need to want to be with someone in order to give that to him that is how it is without really almost having a kind of an obsession you will not grant a person that but that is what God has come to give towards sinners and the wonderful thing about this life that He wants to give, it is a sin-free life, meaning that the obligation is not upon the sinner to stop his sin, but it's actually upon the Creator to create a new heart and a new life in Him. Now I want to go on to a passage that we touched, we, we just started to touch on this, and this is now the continuation of, of the message. It says in Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, that being justified means therefore having eternal life by trusting God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, just listen to what he's saying here. He says, we are justified by faith, not by our works. Uh, This comes out of Romans 4 verse 5, where it says that, the person who believes that God can justify the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness so what do we need to believe in order to have faith that is in line with what God says you must believe you have to believe that God can justify or give eternal life to the ungodly now eternal life part of eternal life is holiness that eternal life is a life of love and kindness and peace and goodness and all those kind of things. A life which is above sin and above death. If a sinner cannot believe that God can bless him with that life, that, then his faith is not the kind of faith that God wants him to have. So what God wants people to know is, if, if, even if you have mistakes, God will bless you. That God made a promise to sinners and that He can keep to His promise doesn't matter if you've got sin. That's what He wants people to believe. And the moment you believe that, you take your hands out of the mix and trying to preserve your own life. And we find that God preserves our lives. That is how it works. So with that in mind, We see that Paul comes here and he says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we've got access by faith into the grace wherein we stand, which is the power of the resurrection. And we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. So what brought rejoicing in the hearts of the early church? What made them feel loved? What gave them their boldness and their joy? says here we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God now those of you that follow this ministry you would know the hope of the glory of God simply means it's the hope of eternal life so what made the early church boast that word rejoice there I translated it like this to it's a rejoicing or to have a joy based on a confidence and a boasting you know the the uh Jews boasted in the law. They boasted in the fact, you know what? We have the best set of rules to assure, to to give us the assurance that we will be blessed. And they boasted that they had the law. No other nation had the law. And they boasted in the fact that they had the law. They boasted that they were Jews and the fact that God has made a covenant with Jews, that they boasted in their flesh. And they boasted that God gave them a law and no other nation have the law. So they said, we better than you. Why? Because we have the law. And they boasted. And they rejoiced. That's the word rejoiced. They rejoiced in the fact that God gave us the law. But here he says that the church rejoices in the fact that they've got the promise of the resurrection. The promise of the hope of the glory of God. The only thing that can really cause... True joy, uh, I, I'm thinking of my mom when she passed away. The only joy I can have when I heard that my mom passed away, the only thing that can give me joy is true joy. I'm not talking about half a joy. I'm talking to the place where my heart feels completely satisfied is the hope of the resurrection. And when my mom passed away, the most the point where I could feel the most loved by God is when I thought that she passed away and now I feel loved in the sense that she will be raised and be fully restored. That made me feel really loved. I felt that God loves me and I could really see God's love for her. That God says, well, although you are in a dying body i'm preserving your life i am still still i will raise you from from the dead for i have given unto you and what i present you with is the resurrected body the resurrection of jesus and she spirit soul and body will be fully restored as what jesus our lord was fully restored the day he was raised from the dead and this is what john uh, this is what John said, caused him to feel loved by God. And this is what Paul said, caused them to rejoice. Now listen to this. He says, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory, in other words, we continue to rejoice, even in tribulation, knowing that in tribulation patience will come forth, and as we have patience, we will find experience. That word experience means we will find the proof of our righteousness starting to live. We will start, start to find fruit in our lives. And then as we see this, we will have our hope satisfied. That's what verse 4 says. And let me read verse 3, three and 4. And not only that, but we glory in tribulation also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience works experience. And experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed. Now listen to this. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. And um, for, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will anyone die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even die. But God commanded his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come or from eternal death. So, what he is saying here is, we can even in the worst situation continue to live with patience and all these kind of things for one reason, for the reason that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is our hearts, our whole belief system is saturated with a message that while we were yet sinners, God gave His Son, redeemed us from sin and death, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners. And if He did this before we did anything wrong or right, how much more can we have assurance that now as we have trusted upon Him, that we will be saved from eternal death? And have eternal life. So what he's saying and what he's doing here is he's defining the love of God as the message of Jesus died and he was raised. That is the love of God. The apostle here, the apostle Paul, actually calls this a a shedding abroad of the love of God. What he's saying is, is the love of God is the fact that God has redeemed us from sin and from death and has given us eternal life. So this knowing of this this message of a resurrected Jesus that we are presented with, that we don't have to live by our works, but that we can have life by Him preserving our lives. Paul calls that the love of God. That is the love of God. It is the simple gospel. That's the love of God. Because I asked myself the question, I mean, we, we live in, in, um, in South Africa here, we've got, I mean, this is in every country, but I think in South Africa we can really see it from the riches of the rich to the poorest of the poor not living very far from each other. You can, the one moment drive past the most beautiful beach houses and the next moment you drive past a little tin shack that is um, 10 square meters, if it's that big, and it is 45 degrees Celsius or 110 or 115 Fahrenheit, and there are people living in that little tin shack, um, having nothing, really suffering, living in the highest crime areas uh, that cannot be outside at night after the sun has set because it's not safe for them to live there. And in the other side, we find luxury. And yet, we have a gospel where in both people groups can feel loved wherein the rich man cannot say I feel loved because of my house and where the poor guy will never say well uh, I feel rejected because of the shack I live in but where we can find a joy in both of them why because uh, the, the poor Christian can be happy why? Because he's got the same faith as the rich one. Because to each man has been given the measure of the faith, which is, what is it? We've got to the rich and to the poor has been given the very same thing to believe. What is that? Jesus died, he was raised, a humanist at the right hand of God, and that is uh, the destination and the hope. Of every man, and the spirit bringing that forth is poured out in the poor, and is poured out in the rich, and that is why the rich man can truly feel loved, and that is why the poor person can always feel loved. I don't know if I've measured this, I've mentioned this before, but um, uh, when I was living in room uh, and we were living in not a, a good house, and we were struggling, I felt loved by God. And then when it's going better with me, I still feel loved by God. And then we had this thing in South Africa where they were talking about, the exp- we're still having it, the expropriation of land and property and all those kind of things. And came to my mind that I can lose all my property. And when that came to my mind, this is what God told me. He said to me, listen, when you lived in a place that was falling apart, you were happy and you are happy now. Don't ever confuse the joy you have with what you what you possess for what makes you happy is me and you've always been happy because of me so let me tell you something if you lose everything you're still going to be happy because your joy is authentic because of the gospel so that gives me peace because i look at my future there's just one thing for me i'm going to be happy I, i cannot not be happy because the love of god is shed abroad in my heart yes if 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 you lose all your money or whatever, there can be some times of what we would call discomfort. But it's not that you're not going to feel loved. I want to tell you as a believer in the grace message, in the believer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, your future, even if you've got discomfort, your heart, you will always feel loved. You will always feel loved in this gospel. If you go to a law message, works righteousness message, my, you will not feel loved. You will feel God doesn't love me. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He loves you. And His passion is still towards you. But you will not feel that God loves you because you will have a law mindset where you see your disqualification and all those kind of things. But when you have the revelation of a physical human seated at the right hand of God, wherein your life is preserved, your complete life, spirit, soul, and body, the whole human is preserved eternally. And you see the value that God has put upon your life, and you see how He preserves that life, you see the value of eternal life, you will start to say, I am truly loved. I'm truly loved. Here we see in Romans 8, It continues. I mean, we find uh, Romans 5, we talk about the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. The love is being defined as having this hope of being saved from wrath. Wrath meaning eternal death. We are saved from that. We've got the assurance of eternal life. We can live with that in us. Oh, this love of God, the love that God had towards us that he could actually come and justify the ungodly with eternal life that we can have the assurance that the ungodly can have eternal life where they have been redeemed from their ungodliness he says that is the love of God shed abroad in my heart it causes me to rejoice in tribulation and everything amen it's like a a simple thing like in the beginning of the service maybe this will be edited out if you see this later but I mean the sound didn't work I don't feel not loved by God if I've got a live stream and the sound goes off. <laughs> How can I be... The, the, love, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. There's no place for something else. The love of God is... He, he died and He was raised. Glory to God. How can I be defined by the stability of Electronics. How can, no, the love that, that God has showed towards me is He will preserve my life forever. Amen. He wants me with Him forever. He actually became a human being. God, that's only spirit, became a human, never not to be a human. He created a human being, became a human being, to be human with humans Forever and to glorify these humans and elevate them to the very level of God to share the only eternal life there is with humans forever. Now that is the love of God. And I want to tell you, church... Study this out. doesn't matter how weird it sounds to you if you hear it for the very first time. You might watch this on some television station. You might say, this sounds a bit weird. I don't know about this eternal life thing. I don't know about this bodily immortality thing. I don't know about this. But let me tell you something. The apostles, the apostle Paul defined it as the love of God. John defined it as the love of God. Paul didn't say, "Behold." John didn't say, "Behold, what manner of love God has bestowed upon us, that we might ride on horses and not walk." Do you understand what I'm saying? The love of God is not defined in your in in, in your what you drive. Paul didn't say, "Well, behold, what manner." I mean, actually, Paul he was at a place where he might have been riding horses. I mean, he was he, he had a, 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 he was really high up in the. Pharisee uh, sect and all of that. He might have been a rich man. But then afterwards we find him walking where he wants to go. Sitting in jail. Smuggling out, you know, getting letters smuggled out of jail. Written to people, all those kind of things. A life, if you would look at it, you would say, cursed. But yet, he says, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. It is so great that nothing can touch me. Now listen to Romans 8 now. Romans 4 promises um, eternal life or justification without your works. Romans 5 is described as the love of God. We find then in Romans 6 talking about being crucified with him, having the hope of the resurrection. Now we get to Romans, I mean Romans 7, Paul talks a little bit about something else there. But but Romans 8, Paul actually comes and the context of Romans 8 is the manifestation of the sons of God. The manifestation of the sons of God. What Romans 8 talks about, he says, we are the sons of God, and there will come a time when the Spirit that is within us will manifest that we have eternal life. We have eternal life, but it does not yet appear. But the Spirit will manifest, that eternal life, and our bodies will be saved from corruption. Our physical bodies. And even if we have died, we would be raised from the dead. And our whole life, we as complete humans, will be preserved. We will see our lives. That is the context there. And then he goes on, and uh, when you get to the end of Romans, Paul continued to define this as the love of God. He says it this way, He says, what shall we then say about all these things? Talking about being persecuted and all of those things. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And please, church, if you study the context of that, freely giving, give us all things please don't see their airplane and car and all those kind of things. That is not the context. The context of all things is He's now given us the Holy Spirit. He's now given us the fruit of the Spirit and all things, mean, meaning the context here is then everything as connected to the definition of justification, which is immortality, eternal life with Him. That's what He says there. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. He says, who will lay a charge to you? God is the one that justifies. He says, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, this rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Now listen to this. He says, who is he that condemns? And then listen to who is the one who condemns he says it is christ christ is the one that condemns so we come in like this we say it this way let me explain that passage we say there's no condemnation for us in christ jesus but here it says christ is the one that condemns now what does that mean and i'm explaining this to explain the love of god here He is saying who will bring in any charge against the elect of god isn't it god who justifies So God is the one that justifies us, and He's decided to justify us. Now how can you bring in a charge against the one that God has decided to bless by His own free will? You cannot. It's impossible. God has decided to justify the sinner. So how can you now come and say to God, God, I just want to tell you, this guy that you want to justify as a sinner. is not news to God. He knows it. And He's decided to justify us with a brand new life. So how will you bring in a charge against Him? And then it goes on, it says, who's he that condemns? Meaning, is there anyone that can condemn you? No, the one who's actually in the condemning business here is Christ. Yes, and how does he condemn? He condemned by the fact that he died and was risen. And what did he condemn? He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned what condemns you. He condemned what destroys you. That's what he's talking about here. So what the context here in Romans is, Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad and out. What is this love? The death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now he goes on here, he says, what will separate me from this love of God? Or he's talking about uh, um, who will bring in a charge against the elect of God? Nothing, nothing can bring in a charge. Why? Because God has decided to justify a sinner. So how can you bring in a charge against the sinner that God wants to justify? By telling, God he, by telling God, listen, this guy has sinned. It's not enough because he's decided to bless the sinner. It's like if my son um, was disobedient, I've decided anyway to bless him and somebody comes and tells me he was disobedient. I say, well, that's not powerful enough to get me not to bless him because I've decided to bless the disobedient. So what can you do? Nothing. It's like Reinhard Bonker said, you're doomed to be blessed <laughs> in the presence of God. Who shall lay anything against the elect of God? Is it God that justifies? No. Who is he that condemns? Isn't it Christ? It is Christ. Yes. It is Christ that died. Is rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. What that means is that Christ the resurrected is condemning what is killing you. So there's no condemnation. Now he goes on with this conclusion. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can you see the love of Christ here? Paul calls the love of Christ the resurrection the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wherein God has come to justify us with eternal life. is basically saying, what will separate you from having eternal life? Nothing. Nothing. That's why he comes, goes on here, he says, Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it's written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. <laughs> How did I, I like the word past tense there, loved. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us emotionally now, but it means that he defines love as the action wherein he died and was risen and where there's a human in the Godhead making intercession for us. Let me tell you just quickly about intercession there. Because when we hear the word intercession, we immediately feel guilty. And I'm, I'm not an intercessor. You know, that's what people, people think. Well, I'm not an intercessor. Intercessors are those that pray. And we felt so guilty about intercession that we actually now created an office of intercessor so that we can say it's not our gifting, it's the gifting of someone else. You know, they're they, 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 they the people that pray. You know, they're into intercession because you just feel, God help me, I just cannot pray so much. But when it talks about the intercessor here, it's not talking about prayer, my friend. What it is actually saying, if you go and read Hebrews, the Bible says that Jesus is according to the order of Melchizedek, which is the order of an endless life, And therefore he's got an endless priesthood because he can never die to make intercession for us so that we can be saved to the uttermost. What that means is the fact that there is a human that cannot die in the Godhead, the fact that he is just there, is an intercession or actually it is saying that we still need that to manifest in our lives. That's it. Jesus isn't praying every day. I want to say that to you. Jesus isn't in, in, in front of the Father, begging the Father to save us every day. That is an insult. It's an insult to the love of the Father. We, 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 we think that Jesus is in heaven praying for people every day. Oh, Father, just save them today. Oh, Father, will you please protect this one? Oh, Father, will you please... Making intercession. No. The intercession is the fact that there is an undying human in the Godhead. That is inter- like you would find in politics. The, um, the moment <coughs> uh, uh, you, the, if I would find, when Nelson Mandela became president, I, I use this a lot and, and, and I believe this will help you to understand intercession. The moment a black man went and sat in the presidency seat of South Africa, the fact that he is a black man seated there is the intercession for blacks. I hope you understand that. That is what is happening when that is the intercession that Jesus makes. So here it says, and he's talking about the whole gospel plan here. He says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Oh, Sorry, I just first want to read verse 34. Um, who is he that condemns? Is it Christ that died, Yet rather, that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us? Can you see how intercession is connected to the fact that there's an undying human in the Godhead? That is what intercession means. Now you can just take a breather and say hallelujah. I don't have to beg God all the time to save people. You know it is not God did not. Imagine the prodigal. uh, Imagine the lost sheep. When the lost sheep went lost you didn't find the shepherd waiting for the 99 to beg bleat until he can convince the shepherd To go and save the lost sheep. No. The initiative was inside the shepherd. Because of his love for the sheep. And the situation the sheep was finding himself in was already enough of a prayer. So I want to say to you, the fact that humans are dying is already a prayer to God. And he has already answered the prayer. He's already planned it from before time. The full manifestation of the answer of prayer was in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And He's already poured out His Spirit now, which is the answer. If we can just see the answer to our problems is a resurrected human in the Godhead, things will really go much better for us. Well, I need to wrap this up. Um, It says here, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ defined here as? It is a human in the Godhead making intercession for us, actually saying eternal life belongs to us. That is the life of love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the resurrection? What can separate you from being... Re- Tribulation cannot. You being killed cannot. Because God has promised that He can raise you from the dead. So how can, if someone kills you, separate you from that? Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the destination that God has for you. And even if you have got bad fruit in your life, you struggle with addictions, you struggle with things, I want to tell you, nothing can separate you from the promise of immortality and the resurrection. All you do is you believe upon Him. Sanctify God in your heart. Believe upon God. See Him as a faithful God that can actually do what He has promised. And what He has promised is, the Bible says before time, He's promised us, and I'm just going to use my own words, a seat in the Godhead, wherein He will come, He will come, and this is the beautiful thing is, God is Spirit, Jesus, uh, 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 a man, God brought forth Jesus Christ, there was an incarnation, this Jesus Christ, this man Jesus, was glorified as a man into the equality with god and this is what is given to us as our hope now let me i'm going to end off by with two scriptures first one here is john 14:23 jesus answered and said unto him if a man love me He will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. (laughs) You know, we see this only as God coming to live within us, but there's something more than that. Listen to this. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, he will keep my words. This is what it means. We feel loved by God, by God giving us eternal life. But God feels loved by us by believing that he will give it to us. That he gives it to us. That's how it is. I don't want to, next we're going to talk about us loving God and the neighbor and and, and so forth. But it says here, and my father, it says, if you believe my words, what was the word that Jesus said? I promise unto you eternal life. He says, and my father will love him. The context here is the resurrection. The Father will love you. How will He love Him? He says, and we will come unto Him, the Father and the Son, will come unto Him, and we will make our abode with Him. So what is the love of God? The love of God is for God to come and dwell with man. That's how God loves us. By saying, I grant you eternal life, I grant you immortality, and then the immortals can live together on the earth with God in a glorified human state. I'll become like you, I'll become you, I'll glor- uh, and, and you believe upon me, I'll glorify you, and then you can share in what it feels like to be like God. That is the love of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I just want to say to you, church, this message of God loving us is much more than just a a cognitive thing or or a thing where we feel gratitude towards what God has given us on a daily basis. Uh, The love of God as an emotion in you or feeling loved by God really starts to have its full manifestation inside our hearts, the feeling of of being loved by God as we start to dig into the depths of this. And I I believe I'm not just sucking this out of my thumb. This is what we can clearly see. John said, Jesus defined the Father loving him as the fact that God has given him the power to lay down his life and to be raised again. Jesus defined that as love. He felt the Father loves me because he granted me as a human. Eternal life. Jesus defined that as the love of God. Jesus defines, defines uh, the love of God towards us as us having eternal life. Paul defines it as the love of God and feeling loved. John defines it as feeling loved. That way. So I want to say to you that as we get this revelation we will feel what it feels like to be loved by God. And that is a joy that's greater than what this world can ever take away. The wo- this world doesn't have the power to take that away from us, because we've got eternal life in mind. Glory to God. Well, I want to preach another half an hour, but I'm going to cut it short here. I want to thank you. I want to thank you guys so much for just the um, willingness to allow me to serve you with this message. Thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, you know, just towards Dynamic Love Ministries and just towards your neighbor and your friends in sharing this with them. It's good for me to see on your Facebook posts how you share this with other people. It's wonderful. Let me just pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that I can pray for people today. I thank you that I can stretch forth my hand uh, just in faith, in the faith that you were raised from the dead, in the faith, in the persuasion and in the hope of the resurrection. And I can say to everyone that is watching, God has given unto you an enlightened mind to understand the dimensions of his love, to see how high, how wide, how broad, how long the love of God is, so that you can be filled with the fullness of God. I thank you, Father, I can also stretch forth man towards people, and that you have said that that, um, signs and wonders will follow your message. And I thank you, Lord, that as I pray for people right now, that your Spirit brings forth healings and signs and wonders in their physical bodies, in their situations, that they will be reminded of this goodness. And thank you, they will not feel loved because of signs, wonders, and miracles, but they, they will be, feel loved because of what the sign points unto. Thank you for that, Lord. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, and then I will see you guys again next week. God bless.